0: Welcome to my podcast Living With Ovarian Cancer. My name is Diane Evans-Wood and I'm one of many women who are living with ovarian cancer. I want to give women like me a voice to share with you what it's like to live with ovarian cancer. We will cover a whole range of aspects related to diagnosis, treatment, recurrence and well just about everything in between. I hope you find our honest, candid, but often humorous conversations not only useful, but also uplifting. So, without further ado, settle down and listen to my conversation today. Welcome to Episode 3 of Living with Ovarian Cancer. Today, I have the absolute privilege of talking to Adele Sewell. So, Adele, how are you? Welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm doing very well, thank you, and, oh, and I'm really that's... delighted to be taking part in
0: this today. Oh, I'm I so grateful I'm... to you. I really. Oh, want not the at all. Stories out there. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> not not at all. I think I think this is a wonderful initiative that you've that you've started. And it particularly resonated with me when you said that the to hear you know, to be able to hear the voice of someone after they've Mm -hmm. passed on, I think that's a real gift. I um I actually interviewed my mother um before well, you know, like a good six years before she died, and we were were really grateful to Mm -hmm. have that after she passed away.
0: I know it's so important, isn't it? I know, because when I was working, one of the things that my Uh, The relatives of the patients when they died, one of the things they always said to me during a bereavement visit was that we just miss a voice so much or his voice so much. I know with all the technology we've got now, it's slightly different and there's been lots of videos, but... It's just something what this podcast will be will be a, a legacy, I, I hope. And and not only that, but you know, obviously to share awareness and um get our stories out there. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, I think that's very
0: important. Yeah. Adele, tell me a little bit about you, who you are, um, what makes you you? <laughs>
1: um that's that's a huge question
0: <laughs> I know it is only tell me the things you want me to know <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think who make who
1: makes what makes me me must be um you know it comes out of of my family background um I am the fourth child out right. of six and I'm also the fourth girl right and I was followed by two younger brothers. And I think the wonderful thing about having all the sisters is that you sort of feel you can do anything because they've done it all before you. And so I I used to tell people I was born a feminist because I've always felt that I could do anything, certainly anything that any boy was doing. I always as a girl felt I could do that, you know, and it's it's stayed with me into being an adult really
0: yeah definitely I understand where you're coming from I was the eldest of three girls so I had to pave the way for them (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly exactly. what are your hobbies do you have time for hobbies or do you work I do
1: actually um I'm sitting I'm sitting next to one of my hobbies I've I've become a um, pretend artist now so um, there's is one of my paintings yeah so um, this started about a year ago actually because um last winter like this winter we were able to um, come to Jamaica we were in the Caribbean for three months last winter yeah and we've now been here for about five weeks and as I sat on the balcony looking out at the blue sea and the blue sky I thought you know Adele you need some blue
0: paint to do something Definitely. Oh, it sounds <laughs> wonderful. Of course, that's oh, yes. where you are now, isn't it? Yes, like,
1: yes, that's oh, right. My, no. my, um, my husband's parents were from Jamaica, mm. and when um, his parents died, uh, his he and his siblings they sold the family home, and he was able to buy this apartment for us, um, just on the road from where his father was born and grew up. Actually, yeah. so it's almost like he came back home.
0: Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: we've been yeah. very yeah. lucky. Yeah.
0: Do you know how much longer you're there for? Well <laughs>
1: in
0: the, in the lap of the gods, isn't it, at the moment? That's, because of the current right, yes. restrictions.
1: Yes, that's right. Um I like to tell people I'm hashtag stranded in Jamaica. Yeah,
0: and you can wonderful. see I'm
1: stranded with a big smile on my face. <laughs>
0: I know. I know what a brilliant <laughs> place to be stranded. That's right. Oh, That's yeah. right. I know. So
1: we, we were originally scheduled to leave at the end of January, but um, those flights were cancelled and we've rebooked now for the 4th of March. Okay. And, um, you know, it remains to be seen whether those flights will go ahead or not.
0: Yeah. So you've still got time to be painting those blue skies, those blue seas. That's so, right. Oh, I look forward to seeing your paintings. <laughs> yeah. So, Adele, if we go back to the beginning of your story really with cancer, um I know you've got some different experiences. Yes. Uh, can you start from the beginning and just go back yes. to the very start? Yes. I was um I was first
1: diagnosed with cancer more than 20 years ago now. I um, I was a slip of a girl of 35 years old, <laughs> and um, my daughter was four years old, and um, we'd been married what five, or just over five years. Mm. And the last thing that I expected was to be told that I had breast cancer. I um, I found a lump in my breast. In fact, I first noticed that um, my breast looked a bit fuller,
2: mm.
1: and um I think after I breastfed, you know, your your breasts can kind of lose a bit of the fullness. Yes. And I one one morning I, I saw that my breast looked a bit full and I, I was actually quite pleased. I thought, okay, things are coming back to how they used to be. <laughs> but, but I think luckily there's um there's so much awareness about breast cancer. I still knew that I needed to give myself a breast examination and, and I did. And I was surprised to find a lump in my breast. I kind of took my time. I think it was a month later that I actually went to my GP and said, look, you know, there's a lump here and it's been here for over a month. And she said to me, she didn't think it would be anything. um, But she said, because it had been there for over a month, she sent me to have tests. And um, early in January of 1999, I was told I had breast cancer. I was given the option at the time of having a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. Right. And they did test. They found that the node spread through the lymph nodes. So I didn't have to have chemotherapy. And I opted to have a lumpectomy, which yeah. was followed by radiation. Mm. And touch wood, breast cancer has not come back into my life. Yeah. But eight years later, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And it was then that the doctor said, well, it's unusual for people to have two completely separate primary cancers without there being a genetic um, involvement. So I had a blood test and it came back and said that I had a BRCA2 gene mutation.
2: Right.
1: So Before, before I did the blood test, they gave me a family history questionnaire and I interviewed both my parents.
2: Mm. And
1: um, my mum at the time, none of her siblings had had a cancer diagnosis. When I interviewed my dad, he sort of muttered under his breath breath, the Williams cancer gene. So he had already decided that there was some sort of genetic cancer thing in our family because his eldest brother had died of cancer in his early 60s. And one of his sisters had died of cancer. And three of his aunts, my great aunts, had died of cancer. His mother... Who we think he must have inherited the BRCA mutation from, yeah. um, significantly had never had cancer. She died in her 70s and she had had diabetes and she had had stroke.
2: Right. She never
1: had cancer. But one of her brothers, who also didn't die of cancer, he had several daughters. Mm. And I think four of them have had breast cancer. And one, like myself, had both breast and ovarian, and she Mm. has died of cancer. The others are still okay. And they've been tested, and they've been found to have the same BRCA2 gene mutation that I have. Mm. And two of my sisters have it, and three of my nieces have it. I only have one child, a daughter, and luckily she doesn't have the um, brca gene mutation.
0: Yeah, that must have been such a worry for you when you found out. Yes, when
1: when I was first when I first found out I had the BRCA, two G mutation, I have to admit, for myself personally, it kind of felt like a bit of relief because it gave me an explanation as to why I'd had not just one but two different types of cancer. But I knew straight away that it was a was opening up a can of worms for my whole family and so said, you know, my sisters have both had breast cancer. Um, One of them, as soon as she heard I had the BRCA gene, she was tested, but both my sisters had been having annual mammograms from the time I was diagnosed with cancer. So before Yvette's BRCA2 gene mutation test result came back, her annual mammogram came back and told her that she had breast cancer right okay. she did what she had advised me to do years earlier which she had double mastectomy I should mention it yeah um she's the older of my two sisters
2: right
1: I listen to both my sisters I don't do what they tell me to do which is mm-hmm. a privilege of every younger sister mm-hmm. I'm sure you experience this with your younger Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So so she did what she'd advised me and and she also had um, oophorectomy later that year. So fingers crossed, she um, should be safe from cancer. And um, one of her daughters has had, um, who has a bracket, and she's had preventative um, breast removal and oophorectomy, but she's already married and has two daughters. So she felt she completed her family. And she's done everything, you know. She's done everything in her power to um, keep herself safe.
0: Yeah, of course. With mutation, it's such a lot to take in, isn't it? With a family, it all the really is involved with that. Yes, uh, yes. So, I'm um, I'm glad that you're doing well. Thank um, you. So it's not coming back, but I'm obviously sorry that you got the ovarian cancer. What made you go to the GP that led to the diagnosis with ovarian cancer?
1: Oh, well, um, as you may have experienced yourself, I don't know. um, It was a long and winding road, shall we say, like that. (laughs) (laughs) With, With the breast cancer, I think I had diagnosis, surgery, radiotherapy. You know, all the treatment was and the diagnosis was completed within six months. Whereas for the ovarian cancer, it was an 18-month journey from what I consider to be my first symptom to having diagnosis. And then that was followed by approximately six months of treatment. I had three chemotherapies and then surgery. And treatment mm-hmm. But to go back to the symptoms, yeah. I think the first symptom that I had was um, sciatica. Yeah. Then I had urinary frequency. And... Um, I I think after about six months of the sciatica and the urinary frequency, I I went to the GP about the sciatica. He sent me to a specialist. All oh, they did do was bone scan because of my cancer history. Okay, bone scan didn't show anything. Mm. He said to me, "This is classic sciatica," and he said I should stop doing high impact exercise. Mm. I should do Pilates. Mm. <laughs> oh. I did the Pilates. I had physiotherapy. The sciatica did not go away the urinary frequency started I was tested for various urine infections Mm
2: -hmm. they
1: never found any urine infections but nobody ever said well you know what else could this be or investigated it any further and I think I asked for an extra cervical smear I had always been up to date with my cervical smears but the only thing that the only diagnostic I that I knew of for cancer in the pelvic area was mm. the cervical smear. Yeah. I asked for that. It came back and said everything was fine. So I said to myself, well, this um, urinary frequency is inconvenient, but it's, at least it's not cancer. Mm. And I want to say that I now know, and I hope other women will know, that I think there's about five different gynecological cancers that women can have. Mm -hmm. And the cervical smear only diagnoses cervical cancer. It doesn't diagnose ovarian cancer. It doesn't diagnose endometrial cancer. It doesn't diagnose vaginal cancer. It doesn't diagnose womb cancer. The only thing the cervical smear diagnoses is cervical cancer. So my, sorry.
0: That's a really good point to make. I think there's a lot of women out there that think the cervical smear is going to be it that will tell yes. them if there's anything wrong. But, of course, it's only covering one kind of gynae cancer.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think we, we we end up, as the general public, only thinking of the types of cancer that we know about the screening. Yeah. So we know about colon cancer. We know about lung cancer. We know about cervical cancer. We know about breast cancer.
0: No and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because the ovaries are tucked in there, you know. I'm, I'm, t- I'm pointing to my ovaries, but don't have them. <laughs> yeah, our ovaries, they're just tucked right in there, out of sight, out of mind, aren't they?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you were so back and forwards to the GP yes. for about 18 yeah. months.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think it wasn't until, oh, I then ended up, in June of 2007 which is the year I was finally diagnosed I had constipation Mm -hmm. and um, I think so you know I ended up with a lot of symptoms by August I went to the GP to say that I now had it felt like I pulled a muscle in the area of in the bikini line area yeah so I had that I had the constipation still having the vaginal frequency I had the sciatica and um, she sent me home with not one, but two different types of laxatives. (laughs) And and a month later, I went back. I'm lucky I saw another GP and I said, well, look, I came last month and this is what I was sent home with. I'm not um, constipated, but look at the stomach of mine. You know, I now looked like I was pregnant. And I said, I know I'm not pregnant. So what's going on? And he said, um it could be an ovarian cyst and I think I remember sort of breathing out because I felt ovarian cyst that sounds like a diagnosis if I have a diagnosis I can get a cure yeah. and the good news is a cyst doesn't sound scary like cancer
2: no, so
1: right. I went on happily on my merry way that afternoon to have an ultrasound scan and I remember having this um lighthearted conversation with the person who did the scan Um, because my first name is Bernadette. And um, he said to me, Oh, why are you called Bernadette? I said, I was born on St. Bernadette's day. And he said, Oh, have you been to Lourdes? And I was like, Lourdes, why are you sending me to Lourdes? (laughs) Do I need a miracle cure? This is what is is going on in my head. (laughs) And, um, I think he probably, I don't think I said that to him, but I think he, he probably sensed my alarm. And I said to him, can you tell if there are cysts? And he said, yes, I can see cysts. Yeah. And so still I went on home, you know, thinking, okay, I've got ovarian cysts. I don't think this is anything to worry about. Mm. But I was told to pick up a, a letter from my GP this afternoon, that afternoon, to go and see a specialist later on in the week. And of course I opened the letter and the letter, it was in that letter. I saw that he was he thought that he could see ovarian cysts and something which looked like a, a tumor as well. And in fact,
0: well. He didn't say that then to you then. <laughs>
1: no, he didn't. He didn't. No. So yeah. Mm. So that was quite a shock. You know, I was, I was it was a sunny September afternoon. I was just walking, I'd walked to the surgery I was walking home and you know, open a letter, but it's not addressed to me. And um that's when I saw but I called I think I probably called my sister the doctor straight away that that day yeah. and um, spoke yeah. to her but even then I was I was fairly relaxed because I'd had breast cancer eight yeah. years earlier and to all intents and purposes I was cured yeah because it hadn't come back and in my head not knowing very much about different types of cancer at the time and also not knowing the difference between early stage and late stage and not knowing at that time that I was late-stage diagnosis, stage 3C, high-grade serous ovarian cancer. I just assumed, you know, I'd have surgery again and move on with my life like before, but it's mm-hmm. been a completely different experience. I
0: know. With ovarian, ovarian cancer is a different kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah. I've shared a, the same, sort of similar diagnosis in the fact that I had breast cancer, had ovarian cancer, then I developed breast cancer, but I'm BRCA negative. So I've got two primaries, um, really, which is just bad luck, you know. Yes, but,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, going through the breast cancer treatment compared to ovarian cancer seems like a breeze to me. Um, and that I obviously didn't have chemo. I, like you, I had a lumpectomy followed by radiotherapy, um and that was i could cope with that but having gone through the chemotherapy with ovarian cancer and various other things yeah it was ovarian cancer is a tricky one
1: which, yeah. which cancer did you have first
0: i had ovarian
1: yes yeah, uh, yeah
0: treated for that um and then i was no evidence of disease for a, a short time um then it came back and then i had um a ct scan for the ovarian cancer and that picked up mm. the breast cancer so oh. luckily for me it was a tiny lump so yeah i was very lucky yes so, yes you know, like you it was got through the treatment and thought that well that's that now and, and so far so good that was about three four years ago yeah
2: it's yes. good. good
0: so when in terms of with the ovarian cancer in terms of treatment where? what did they do after that they obviously sent you then to a specialist i guess
1: after the um the you mean at the beginning yes yeah oh yes so when i went to see the gynecologist he um gave me a ct scan and i think my it's not a ct scan my brain this is this is one side effect i have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. my my brain tells me something my mouth says a completely different yeah. yeah my daughter's always laughing at me about this but not in not in a terrible way we, we, i should say we both laugh together about it mm. <laughs> um so so i had a ca125 blood test and the result came back over 2000 right. and i was told at 35 or below is normal so he was um, fairly sure that something was up. And then I was referred to the Royal Marston Hospital. Mm-hmm. I saw um, a very nice surgeon there. And it was agreed that I'd have the three chemotherapy sessions and surgery. Right. So, and then three more chemos. The first surgery I had for ovarian cancer was the 1st of December, 2007. Right. And after that surgery, my CA125 went down to about five. And it's never been higher than seven since then.
2: Oh, brilliant. And yeah, yeah
1: and I've had um, the sciatica, remember that I mentioned, that went yeah. away. Yeah. And all the other um, symptoms that I had pretty much went away soon after okay. that. But I then went into the zone. I think it must have been, I think February, Valentine's Day 2008 was the last, chemo. You know, yeah. I think soon after that. We went back to see the surgeon, husband and I. And remember I'd said about um, my breast cancer experience. So after the breast cancer, they told me they got a clear margin. And, you know, in other words, all the cancer had gone and I should go on and live my life. And when they did the ovarian cancer surgery, they said the same thing. They'd been able to remove all physical cancer. Mm -hmm. and had treatment. So we expected to be told, okay, Carry on living your life, everything is gone, everything will be fine. And instead, he said, You do realize there's a high chance of this cancer coming back.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think in a kind of a facetious manner, I said to him, What do you mean? What seventy percent, eighty percent? And he said, Yes.
2: Crazy.
1: And that kind of bowled me over for six. Yeah. I think yeah. the same. Because we went in there very happy, thinking treatment is over, everything's gone well, move on with life. And that's not the message that we were being given.
0: You weren't expecting that one at all. It takes a while to get your head around it, doesn't it?
1: it does. Mm -hmm. And I think what I then did, and I didn't really discuss this with many people, I think I just went away and I worried constantly about recurrence yeah and they do say that what you think about all day long is what you become Mm -hmm. and i think Sometimes when you worry about recurrence, it's almost like you're praying for recurrence because you're thinking about it too
0: much. Yeah, it's almost like you're willing it to happen because you're willing yes. your thoughts with that. So you're willing it to happen almost.
1: Yes, you br- you're bringing it into your life. It, I'm not trying to blame myself or other, other patients. I think it's a natural thing to do. Exactly. But regardless, I got what I'd been thinking. About. <laughs> Within two years, I think in October... October 2009 I think I started and I can't even tell you what it felt like but I I started to feel like how I'd felt before the diagnosis and I can't say I didn't have bloating I didn't have that lower abdominal pain I don't think I had urinary frequency but I just didn't feel comfortable and I went back to the GP practice and it's terrible, but I think the GP that I saw was implying that because my ovaries had been removed, I couldn't get ovarian cancer again. But she reluctantly sent me for a CT scan or an MRI or something, and it came back, and it didn't show anything. Yeah. But I went to see my surgeon. I think it must have been December of 2009, and I said to him the same thing. I'm feeling a bit like I was feeling before, and he sent me for another scan in January 2010. And that showed something tiny, I think it was less than half an inch, but something mm-hmm. new on the scan
2: that had mm-hmm. um, he
1: he's a very interesting surgeon, he sort of he never wants to commit himself unless he's got facts <laughs> So I think I had another scan a month later, and it had doubled in size. Mm. and then i had another scan in april and it had doubled in size again mm. and he said well this now looks like something that needs to be removed he still wasn't committing himself and he said you could have surgery is
0: it high grade that you've got high yes yes yeah.
1: yes that's right high grade serous so he said you could have cancer next month which is may and my response was well, no, (laughs) I've got family coming in May because we're going to a family wedding and it's my birthday in May. I'm sorry, I'm too busy for this surgery. (laughs) So I ended up having surgery on June 30th of 2010. And I say this because sometimes I I hear a lot of stories of people being in hospital on their birthday, people having chemotherapy on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and I say to them, no you don't have to do it you can say no but I think most people are afraid to not do exactly as they're told by the doctors
0: that's right I think it's and they go nothing's going to happen in a few days and and it just allows you to have your family get together or your birthday you know so I suppose you're right though I think people Women just generally just want to get it out of the way and they're following the medical advice. It's got to be done ASAP. And yes, it does, but there is a little bit of leeway. If you were leaving it for months, that's a different thing. But just a few days or a week or something, it's not going to make any difference. You've got time, haven't you, to to wait. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And um, I think that um, possibly... Because I've I've read all the questions you said you you sent me earlier, yeah. And one of the questions you asked was, "What would I like to be most remembered for?" And I did write something completely different, but now I think about it, I would say that I would like to be remembered for not always doing what the doctors told me, and for it working out for me to having a better life than (laughs) if I had. I think and. Not just me having a better life, but probably my family and friends as well. Because imagine if my family had showed up from overseas for this family wedding to stay with me. And I was in, you know, I was in hospital. I wasn't around. I would have ruined it for everybody. And we had a fantastic time instead. And I still had my surgery. And I'm still here more than 10 years after that surgery.
0: That's such so, good advice. I think that is such a good point to make. Yeah, thank you. And I think that you will be remembered for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you just have the one oh, yes. recurrence, Adele, Well, in two thousand and nine? Obviously, you had the recurrence, and that turned yes. out to you needed more. You needed more surgery. Um, yes. Did they leave it at that, or did they give you some maintenance treatment, or second line chemo, or anything like that? I
1: had second line. I had second line chemo, and for the second time, I had carboplatin and taxol. Mm. I think I was offered um, what is now called a Vastin. I think yeah. the fancy name is something like Zamab or something. Be-
0: bevacizumab. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. A bit yes.
0: of a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the one is easier. Yeah.
1: So I was offered a trial drug, but I read the possible side effects of that trial as it was a trial drug at the time. And I thought, no, I'll just stick with the devil that I know. And um, I then went on to have an eight-year remission. I have had, um, in terms of side effects from carboplatin, I have, I've always had peripheral neuropathy during the treatment and I've always reported it to the doctors and they I think probably the first and the second line chemo or no maybe just for the first line chemo they stop the carboplatin or they stop the taxol yeah. for the last dose. Yeah. And um I have got some slight hearing impediment yeah. and I do stuff suffer from um tinnitus or yeah.
0: um, yes. That's so, common, isn't it? The peripheral neuropathy and the tinnitus are both things I think so many ladies end up having because of the chemotherapy. Yeah, that's right.
1: yeah. Oh so, yes. Yeah, so, but I, you know, I then went on to have, have a full eight-year remission after um that first recurrence. And and again, this was this is something that I I would like to talk about in the same way that I worried after I'd been told that had a 70 to 90% chance of it coming back. This time I, he, I was told that, okay, because the cancer has come back, you've now got what we call recurrent ovarian cancer. Yeah. And when I asked what that means, he said, it means that it came back within less than two years. That means it's going to come back again, probably in less than two years. And it's going to keep coming back, um, and each time the recurrence is going to be quicker than the last time. And this time I said to him, do you know anybody where it has come back within less than two years? And they went on and it didn't come back. And he said, yes. Yeah. But he said, it's not probable. It's much more likely it's going to come back and it's just going to keep coming back.
2: Yeah. So
1: this time I went away. And instead of me thinking about the fact that it's going to come back and it's going to keep coming back well I tell a lie I did think that as well but I held on to the fact that it was possible yeah that it might not come back and to be fair yes let me think this through I think something I did which was really useful I went to Penny Braun in Bristol oh
0: yeah and
1: I kept A wonderful place. Have you ever been there, Diane?
0: I haven't, but I know about it because I obviously worked in Somerset um, Um, and it's somewhere that we used to send patients. So for the listeners that don't know anything about it, can you tell them about your experience with the Penny Brown? Yes.
1: Yes. So from the time I walked in the doors at Penny Brown, and I should say that I have a friend who is German who I met when I was at university in the eighties yeah. and she and her, and her husband were planning to come to the UK on holiday, but they ended up pretty much coming to the UK to drive me from London to Bristol. And they hung around in that area until I'd finished my two nights and two days at Penny And they drove me back to my home in London
2: oh. and
1: and I would say it's almost like I arrived at Pennybron on that gift of love of a f- friend coming all the way from Germany to drive me there and to drive me back. And I entered Pennybron and it felt like a place of love. And I would say that the love of Pennybron healed me.
0: Yeah.
1: And when you read about the place they say at first I think they may have charged people for treatment but they then decided that they weren't going to charge anybody for treatment because they wanted everybody to be able to come and to me again that is a gift of love yeah. and it's also a gift of belief because they have no official sponsors all of their money is via donations yeah and You know, so it means that other people are recognizing what they're doing and they're also buying into that. And the place is full of light, it's beautifully designed. It's like the Maggie centers, it's beautifully designed. There's lots of light. They cook healthy and wholesome food. And we had lots of sessions in groups. We sit around in circles with our feet up. you know they have these reclining chairs <laughs> yeah. and stools for you to put your feet up and then you're covered. each person has a blanket you know to cover yourself with so you're in a cozy place there's usually a candle with a medi- you know you're kind of meditating on a candle and it's just especially if you you know I had gone back to work you know I was back into my busy lifestyle and it's like <sighs> yeah. you know just for a couple of days yeah. and We had, each person had a one-to-one with a therapist. And I remember I kept going on to the therapist, going on and on about my prognosis, my poor prognosis. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, Adele, do you want to live or do you want to die? And I think there were tears involved. But I took away from her that the message was, don't be focusing on your poor prognosis. Focus on what it is you want, and what you want is to live. And I think since then, I try to wake up every day and have a good day. You know, as long as I'm not in any pain, try to have a good day. And I try to encourage everybody to focus on what you have today and not focus on what may or may not happen tomorrow. Because remember I said I had a full eight-year remission after a recurrence when the doctors had told me that it was going to keep coming back. Now, in that eight years, maybe I spent the first year or two worrying in the back of my head or at the front of my head about recurrence. And I regard every minute of every day that I worried about recurrence as time wasted. Yeah. Because it didn't change anything. No. And in fact, I didn't have a recurrence.
0: No, I really, really do resonate with what you're saying. Because I, you know, it, it's not, it's, when you're somebody that worries, like, I mean, for, for example, myself, Um, it's not easy not to worry. But if you can get around it and just focus on all the positives that you have and what you have got in life and to make some plans and to keep living and focusing on living that's what makes the difference because life is a gift isn't it Adele and right. you can either sit there and worry yourself to death or you yes. can sit there and live your life that you have been gifted that's right and that's the, I, I, we, I think we probably sit think in a very similar way yes um, and it makes a huge difference then to your daily life doesn't it does it
1: does it does, yes. it does. Because, because really the, the worrying doesn't change anything
0: no,
1: you know yes. and it definitely doesn't make the day better
0: <laughs> no no it ruins so. the day it ruins the time that you've got um, yes and nobody knows um you know, you've always got to have hope but nobody knows specifically what your prognosis will be. They can only go by statistics. Well, they don't know you, do they? And they don't know me. And they exactly. don't know anybody, really. I think they can only just give you a guide. Um, and and that I just think sometimes um, being given a specific prognosis is not perhaps the best thing. It, it can only be used as a guide. Um, and not to be taken as gospel. That's what yes. I say. Yes, um, yes. And to yeah. not focus on what that figure is that you've been given. Because I, I remember in my work, you know, there were patients that asked me how long that they had. And I would be very honest and say, I really can't tell you. Um, mm-hmm. And I encourage them to live their life. And that I would actually say to them, I promise you that if I see that deterioration, and I can see that things are slipping, that I will talk to you and I'll be honest with you. But right now, I honestly can't be, I can't tell you what your prognosis is and to go and live your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a wonderful gift that you gave to your patients. And, you know, I, I wish my doctors had not given me any prognosis. Yeah, they, they, I think the first prognosis I was given was five years. And that would have been in 2008 mm-hmm. when I'd finished the first treatment. And I'd finished the first treatment successfully as well, you know, with no evidence of disease. So, you know, my, that five years finished in 2013 and here we are in 2021.
2: Yeah.
1: And I'm still no evidence of disease.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: I've had I think I've had five surgeries in total for mm-hmm. cancer. Yeah. I had the first one for breast cancer in 1999. Yeah. I had two successful surgeries in 2007 and 2010. I had an unsuccessful one in October 2018. Mm-hmm. And that was followed soon after in February 2019 and I must mention her name that surgery was by doc- Dr. Christina Fotopoulou.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah after the, After the failed fantastic.
0: surgery she's got such a fantastic reputation
1: she meets and exceeds that fantastic re- yeah. reputation um, you know i've been having um treatment for ovarian cancer for so many years when I met her the first time at some point, she held my hands. Nobody had ever done that. Mm. you know um, I probably wouldn't have have wanted them to do that, but it made it meant something that she did that yeah. and She was pregnant when she did my surgery. I think I was the last surgery before she went off on maternity leave.
2: Yeah.
1: Heard she was only on maternity leave for six weeks or two months or something like that. But did another successful surgery and came in to see me afterwards. You know, took a selfie with me.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. She's human. human. She connected with you on a human level. And that makes such a difference.
1: Right. That's right. And next month, 5th of February, it'll be two years since that surgery. So I'll I'll be two years Ned again, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: since mm-hmm. since then. Oh,
0: so, fantastic. You,
1: need- you know, and that, that's that's why I really believe
0: yeah.
1: that we have to remain hopeful because no, absolutely nobody knows what is going to happen to them. Um You know, people who don't have a cancer diagnosis don't know what's going to happen to them. Nobody knows Mm. how, you know, the paths of our life will lead. I could go on to live to be 98 and never have cancer again. Some may say that statistically the probability is that the cancer will come back again and I might be gone before I'm 60. But hey, Mm. I was told not to expect to meet my 50th birthday and I'm going to be 58 this year. I don't often admit that.
0: <laughs> We're the same age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that 20 is at 20 age.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a great age. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly,
0: exactly. Oh. So yes. Yeah. So do, you don't have any treatment maintenance treatment then you, you're living life well and you're not taking any maintenance treatment at all then at the moment. Right.
2: Yeah,
1: that's a, that's another example of me not doing what my doctors suggested. So oh, nice. I was offered a laparib after I finished chemo in July 2019 because I've got bracket two. Laparib should um, be beneficial to me, but when I asked them how much longer that'll give me, the only statistics they could give me suggested something like seven months,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: because I'd already had a deep remission. I couldn't see why I would take a drug, which the, its reputation for side effects are pretty poor if it was only going to give me an extra seven months. And
2: yeah.
1: from from my point of view, I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit tricky because my understanding of the PARP inhibitors is that you must start taking them within about two months of completing chemotherapy.
2: Hmm.
1: And, what I wanted was to be able to get back to feeling like my normal healthy self yes. before taking a new drug. Whereas we're told that's a no-no. So for example, if I if I said that I wanted to go and take a PARP inhibitor now, I'd be told I can't take it. Yeah. And I'm not anti-medicine, but I was anti the terms of taking that drug.
2: Yeah. But
1: I think that, you know, if I'm still here. Um, two years after the surgery, it's not yet two years after I finished the chemo, but in July, um, then I probably made the right decision. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: But what I did say is that if I did have a recurrence within two years, then I would happily take the PARP inhibitor. But now because I'm stranded in Jamaica, I probably won't have a um, another CT scan to <laughs> find out if I am having a recurrence or not.
0: <laughs> so well, just as well. Yeah, yeah. I think treatment is, it's, it's a bit, it's a very choosing to have a treatment or not is something that's very personal. The I think that the oncologists will offer you what is available. And I know a lot of women will take what's on offer. Yeah. It's very much about weighing it up though. Your quality of life matters. So if yes. you're going to have some life, however long that might be because of the drug, what is that life going to be like? And I, and I really do agree with you that I think quality of life comes into it. Um, and you've got a laparib always anyway there, just there if you need it and if it's appropriate at another time. So don't throw everything at it, but give it, give it yourself some time to sort of come back to your normal self.
1: Yes. that's that's really my view that you know it's still there in my arsenal of weapons, should I need it in the future. I mean, I am this this is me making a lot of assumptions because I have been lucky that every surgery, every recurrence they have been able to remove. But you know, I could have refused a lap rib, I could get a recurrence in a place where it's not operable. And yeah. then what? But then that could also have happened while I was on a
0: lap rib. Yeah. So, absolutely. I know. I think because I'm on hormone blockers as a maintenance treatment um, and they've got all sorts of side effects, as you know, Um, I actually have um, reduced them. I take them now a few times a week (laughs) instead of every single day to try and get some mobility back. Um, But thinking about the future, you know, if the hormone blockers stop working, being a typical palliative care CNS, um, I've made plans for the future and I've thought about my future when things are not so good. But is there anything that you've thought about with the future? And if things don't go so well, have you have you had spoken about how you want things to be for you?
1: I, I got as far as writing a note to my family about... Um... What in fact it's quite funny. I think it was July twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. I wrote a note to them. So bearing in mind I was I was now eight years post last treatments. And I said, Well, life is great. I no longer think I'm gonna die of cancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, well, I, what I what I was really trying to do is to is really I was saying to them that I'm writing this in the spirit, not of me worrying about dying. But while I'm fit and healthy and happy, this is what I. These are my thoughts about my funeral. Yeah. It was a month later. That's when I had a CT scan that said I had a recurrence, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> but I haven't. Um, I haven't really thought that much about things like palliative care and so on. I think, in a way, I suppose I think it's too early for me. I mean, I, I sort of said, you know, what I'd like for my funeral in that, in that note that I sent in July 2018 and so on. But I think I am, um, and what I really said is that spend as little as you can on the funeral, and save all the money for the after party. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, I like that style. <laughs> yeah. oh.
1: But I haven't, I, I think I haven't really thought about actually a time when the illness would have me debilitated. And mm-hmm. what I have done, I think I think the very worst time that I've had since I've had ovarian cancer was that first period in hospital,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which was I think I was in hospital for twenty one days. when I think I'd been told I'd only be in for about five days. And all sorts of things happened and I was very, very weak. My daughter always describes it as me having to learn to walk again. You know? mm-hmm. it was that yeah. And I remember the first day when I was walking around yeah. in the hospital after the surgery, the surgeon saw me later and said, you know, why were you doing like the hunchback of not Dame?" And I think I was so bent over. Yeah. I think my stitches were almost, stitches in the abdomen were so, they felt so tight. Yeah. Almost, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, I was just a frail, a frail old person. Mm-hmm. Um. Sometime after that, I had to go, my sister-in-law, who's a year older than me, had to take me into the ER, into the um, emergency. And they asked me if I was her mother, because I still had no hair. And I I think I just looked old and, you know, I was bald and old and frail and so on. And the subs, in fact, each subsequent surgery, I've been up and about more quickly than that first time. Yeah. So I haven't, even, you know, even I've experienced being unwell and uncomfortable, I'm aware of it being a progression. I actually keep a blog as well. I've been keeping it for more than 10 years. Yeah. And when I was offered the surgery in February 2019, yeah. having just had surgery in November 2018, I went back and I read My blog from of how I recovered from the November 2018 surgery, and I thought, well you can do this," you know, because I could see, you know, I could see the progression from being, you know, really uncomfortable, and Mm. I think it it took six weeks or something for me to go from post surgery to zero pain, and it was same pretty much the same again.
0: I think it's a good idea keeping a blog or 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 a journal of some kind. Because you can yes. look back at how far you've come and how you coped. Yes. It's such a good way of um, of helping you to get through, really, and to see how far you've come. Right, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And okay. I, I'd really written, you know, the, the blog, I, I write the blog to help yeah. myself to get stuff out. And I also write it to help other people. But it was kind of surprising so quickly for it to be helping me to go back and look at, you know, how long it takes to recover from the surgery. Well, that's something I hadn't been expecting. I really recommend writing as a means of getting things off your chest, helping you to process your emotions and
0: so on. Oh, Adele, it's been so good to talk to you today. I've taken up much of your time as well. We're coming up to nearly an hour on on this podcast yeah,
1: yeah. So, I'm sorry
0: um, if I babbled on too much no 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 you've given some such good advice and some things for for us to all think about really and how we live our lives I think it's been fantastic and I just can't thank you enough that you know yeah. I i I feel like I'm talking to royalty because I said this to you before because you know, you you have an award, don't you? Um, oh
1: uh, yes, that's the true. I forgot about that.
0: Woman in Home last year.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. That's for all the stuff I've done for um, with Overcome and um, helping to raise awareness and the Touch of Teal fashion shows and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know that's so amazing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You own it. So take it that I'm talking to you. <laughs> To end with, then it's just a few fun I, questions. So, have you have you got a song that would be your signature tune for your life, Adele? There's a one.
1: Got a few. <laughs> I've got a few. I think the one that um, really helped me when I was first diagnosed is I don't know if you know the song um, by Labi um Some, Something Inside So Strong."
0: Oh yes. Yes,
1: I absolutely love that tune. And I actually have a little story. I don't know if you've got time for that. Yeah. Um so it had kind of become my song, um, having been diagnosed. And then when I was in hospital that first time, um December two thousand and seven, um, I don't know what year of hospital experiences are like, but sometimes it might for example you know, you you just Might wake up feeling low, and then you have to wait until visiting times before you see a family Mm -hmm. member and things like that. And I was having a low day, and um, I was in a private room. I think there's pros and cons of private rooms. I think the real con is that you you know you can just be lonely in your private room, whereas if you're in a room with other people, you see other people coming and going. You see other people in a worse state than yourself. You know, overall, I think a small a small ward with, with three or four people can be better but i was in that private room and somehow strangely the cleaner was outside of my door singing that song and i don't know what he was doing outside my door so long because he sang the whole song and it just uplifted me. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, it it, so almost, cool. <laughs> it almost felt like a you know like the cleaner was an angel yeah. who been sent there to sing my special song for me. And I think I, I probably cheered up and jumped up, you know, it was probably like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I got up and I showered and got myself together. And then <laughs> probably soon after that, fa- family and friends came to visit and, and so on.
0: Oh, so, gosh, isn't that wonderful? Yes, it's oh. yes,
1: really
2: amazing, yeah. really amazing.
0: We spoke earlier about what you want to be remembered for briefly. Is there anything else that you want to add? What, what would you want to be remembered for in life?
1: well i think it's it in terms of the tangible things it is the the touch of teal events yeah and it's also the ovarian cancer support group that i started way back in 2011 now so this yes i didn't realize it's 10 years now we've been yeah. up and running um but really it's it's about i think You know, really really about trying to get the best out of life and and think the things I was saying earlier about trying to encourage people to wake up every day and have Mm -hmm. a good day, you know, and to to live life to the full. And I think another song that I discovered having been diagnosed with ovarian cancer is a song from the fifties and it's it's called Enjoy Yourself, It's Later Than You Think. Mm -hmm. And you know, I really encourage everybody, you know, the, the party could be almost over. So the best last hour at the party you can have.
0: Oh, do you know that's so good? Yeah, <laughs> even the title of it. That's right. That's, a good,
1: that's right.
2: Isn't it? Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Are there any books that you've read lately? And is there anything that you would recommend to anybody? It's like a must read.
1: Well, um, I, I, I was reading another book, but I put that one down and I want to share this book. Um, which is called The Reason, and it's by my friend Della, who used to call each other Twinnies.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
1: Della, Della sadly died on the 18th of October, um, yeah. 2020. So the reason we call each other Twinnies is because her name is Della, my name is Adele. Yeah. And um, we both, BRCA. She's she was Bracca 1, I'm bracker 2. We were both born in the same wonderful year, 1963. You're mm. also born in. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she was born in March. I was born in May. And we both got one daughter. We both had breast and ovarian cancer. So Della, Della had, and this is the back of the book, and you see she's written "Twinny" there as well.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, she also wrote a lovely inscription for me. And I think oh. Della, Della, Della crowdfunded for this book and knowing Bella, she probably wrote, and I think she printed 5,000 copies. And I bet she wrote an inscription that every one of those 5,000 copies for her 5,000 friends and family and fans who crowdfunded for the book. She was yeah. real, you know, a real inspiration, an absolute inspiration. You see, there's a dog there. Yeah. She sort of, she changed her life and she. I think she used to be uh, um, similar to me, a, a sort of a, a manager of, of tech people. And when illness meant she couldn't do that work anymore, she did what she loved. And I think that would be her motto do what you love. Yeah. And what she loved was looking after pets.
2: Mm-hmm. She
1: looked after cats and dogs in particular. And she really was a dog whisperer. Yeah. Um, so she, I think her her company was called something like Boggies and Moggies Pet City. Oh. So that's, that's what she did. And she had a. <laughs> she had a, a camper van which was called something like bimble so <laughs> she would drive down and stay with people and I think she had her own pet so she could keep her pets you know say she was looking after dogs she could keep her cats in in bimble while she pet, pet, pet sitted at somebody's house and so on. <laughs> a really wonderful book
0: oh I love that Do you know I'm going to get that book I don't know if it's still available you should
1: it? it's really good yeah
0: oh it yeah, probably I'll, is. It I'll, probably I'll look is. for it and i'm going to put it in the show notes so that the, the listeners oh fantastic remember what we've said and then last yeah
1: in fact um, in fact it says it says if you go to, to find out more about Della, visit um www.dellaferrari.com. right and i can send you more more info to put in the show notes i'll
0: put that definitely in the show notes if thank you, you ever so much that would be brilliant so on to your last question then, just for fun. Where in the world would you say it's a must that you have to go in a lifetime? Two
1: places. The Caribbean, obviously.
0: Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Sun.
1: <laughs> Sun,
0: oh. sea, blue sea,
1: white sand, yeah. you know, blue skies. Just fabulous. All oh. year round, all year round, fabulous. Yeah. And um, my most exciting work experience was when I spent six months in India. And that is just, it was so exciting. Um, I think it was my best working experience and my best travel, really, because yeah. um, every day something, you know, you be driving to work and you think, okay, right now you know everything you're going to see. And then one day um, I saw a man dressed in orange walking.
0: Yeah.
1: Then the next day, I saw two men, and then you realize there's a few more, and it was some pilgrimage. And everybody's walking the same direction, dressed the same way, and so it was like, even when I thought I knew everything, it um, there was still something else to experience. So, India and the Caribbean, definitely,
0: definitely. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Adele. Well, I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much for joining me as a guest on my podcast. I'm really very grateful to you. And yeah, I can't thank you enough, Adele. Okay, you take care and enjoy. Thank, the you,
1: thank you. Thank but, you, Diane. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Diane, for creating this, you know.
0: You're very well. You. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening today. To hear future episodes of this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe now. I look forward to sharing more inspiring conversations with women who are living with ovarian cancer. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other and enjoy all that life has to offer.